My name is Chris Beetham. I'm one of, the, one of the teachers here at Moran Park, and we're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in uh, the final and the sixth and final antithesis of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So let me pray for us. Let's jump right in. Father, we just pray now by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you breathe fire and life into my words. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Sermon on the Mount started in chapter 5, and we did the Beatitudes, we walked through that, and then now we're in the, what I I'd already said is the final antithesis, uh, the antithesis, the, the antitheses, plural, being this, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And the, you have heard it said is normally a text from the Old Testament, or a misinterpretation of the Old Testament, and Jesus either corrects it or transforms it or brings it to bear uh, in a, on a more accurate, more fundamental way um, to his audience. Let me also just say again that I, I said this last week, that this is not like how you like earn God's favor, All right? The instruction that we're about to get today, this is for Christian disciples. This is for people who have said to Jesus, yes, I want to follow you. I am your disciple. I want to walk in your ways. Um, I believe that you're the Savior, Lord, and guide of the world. And you're my, I'm, my heart's yours, okay? This is, if you are on the outside looking in, if you're just kind of checking things out and saying, you know, I'm not sure whether this Jesus, this Jesus thing is for me or not, the instruction and the teaching this morning is not how you get to be a Christian, okay? Or how you become a follower of Jesus. The, the, the teaching this morning is for those, who are on, for, the, for those who have committed. And so if you're on the outside this morning and just kind of checking it out, whether this is for you or not, maybe this is just kind of a way of getting to see what you're getting into, if you will, if you choose, you know, counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. I hope you'll find something deeply and profoundly uh, attractive about him this morning, but I just wanted to make sure that we clarify uh, where, where we're at this morning. This is, you don't do these 10 things and then you're good with God and you've earned his favor and now, now you're in. No, salvation is a free gift from the Lord Jesus. Just come and take it, right? And then he gives you his spirit and he causes you and says, now follow me uh, and follow me into the way of life. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead and take a look at this final antithesis of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount has a whole other chapter and, and two that we need to walk through, but this will get us to the end of the long chapter of Matthew 5. So let's take a look at this and read this. Um, this is from the ESV. Jesus says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, there's the antithesis, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers or sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So what I'm just going to do this morning is, as I've been doing, just kind of walk us through this, walk us through the text step by step, um, try to understand what it meant then so that we can make some um, organically related uh, applications that apply for us today. Um, so that kind of that two-step process of what did it mean then, walking through the text, and then trying to faithfully apply it to uh, today's context and to us. So let's go jump right in, verse 43, at the top of, uh, at the top of our text. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. All right. This is a quotation, but the, only f- the first half of it is a quotation from the Old Testament. The second half of it is not from the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor is an Old Testament text from Leviticus 19.18. The second half, you shall hate your enemy, is not from the Old Testament. It's erroneous teaching. Um, possibly teaching that have been picked up from the Pharisees, perhaps, <clears throat> or just in local circulation, as if the Bible actually taught this, but it doesn't. Uh, the second half actually kind of reflects typical fallen human behavior and does not summarize anything from the Old Testament at all. The first half, you shall love your neighbor, is a direct, exact quotation from the Old Testament, and I'd like to go back to the original context now of the quotation to see what it meant or what it means to love your neighbor. Remember when we get to the, uh, in any place in the New Testament where there's an Old Testament quotation, it makes sense for us to go back to the original context of the Old Testament quotation to see what that meant in its original context, in the, in the wider context. And so let's go ahead and do that. This is from Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19, 9 to 18. You know, that Old Testament book that most of us have a really hard time getting ourselves to reading and walking through because it has all these laws about pure, pure and impurity, clean, unclean, all this, the sacrificial system. Um, but there are some very practical um, sections in Leviticus, actually, that all of it's ultimately relevant uh, to us. This comes from a section that is from, runs from verses 9 to 18. Now, before verse 9 is a section about uh, sacrifices. And after verse 18 is another, another section about something else. So n- verses 9 to 18 is our unit of thought. And the love your neighbor as yourself is at the very end in verse 18, at the end of the section. It actually functions as a a summary of the teaching of verses 9 to 18. So what you get in verses 9 to 18 is actually like specific examples of what it means to love your neighbor. Okay? So what does love your neighbor look like? That's the summary and the final sentence of this section. What does love your neighbor look like? Well, we're about to get several examples of what loving your neighbor looks like. What we're going to see is that loving your neighbor doesn't mean having primarily warm, fuzzy feelings for them. What we primarily see is that love is a verb. A volitional, a volitional act of the will, an unconditional commitment to meet the needs of another person. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at this. That was my definition. I'll give it to you again in just a moment. So here's just examples of what it means to love your neighbor. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. 
You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. What's going on there? I don't have a vineyard. I don't have a, I don't have a field. I'm not a farmer. What's going on there? You don't harvest your whole entire crop. You leave the edges of it so that there's food there still at the end or you're in your vineyard if you have a vineyard and you have grapes. You don't, do, you don't cultivate the, the, you don't harvest the edges of that field of that vineyard so that with the poor and the sojourner are walking by your field and they're hungry, they can find something to eat. It was a way of caring for the poor. So even if you don't have a field and you don't have a vineyard and we're not supposed to apply this to our lives today in a direct way, the application would be have something, do something in such a way in your life that you take care of those who have less than you. Love is a verb. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. These are all ways of how you love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. I swear on the Holy Bible, I'll do this for you. Or I vow to the Lord God, I, um, I, vow, to the, I vow to God, I'll, I'll be there. Don't swear falsely. Whatever you say you'll do, do, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be noted and marked by integrity and honest dealings and truthful speech. And rock is science, right? We can all do this. You shall not, verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Pay, pay your employees, pay them on time. They need, they need that paycheck to feed their family. You know, don't delay it. Uh, verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the lined. Take care of your spe our special needs people. Don't mock them. Take care of them. Honor them as their image bearers. For you shall fear the Lord your God, I am the Lord. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor in your, in your, your court. Your legal system should be just and impartial. Verse, eight, um, verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. <laughs> what did Jesus say that they were saying? You shall, love your, um, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy? What does it say in the very... In verse 17, in the context of the quotation, it says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not hate anybody in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there it is. There's several specific examples of what love in action looks like. Not rock and science, very practical. It is the com unconditional commitment to meet the needs of another person. Love is verb. You shall love your neighbor, and this Jesus doesn't quote, but it's in the text of Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as who? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You, we, we self-love, we self-care, we take care of ourselves, right? We feed ourselves, we make sure that we have enough water, we clothe ourselves, we make sure we have shelter, uh, we make sure that, that we're safe, we take care of ourselves. And so Jesus puts it positively in another place, he says, as you would want done unto you, you go do, right? 
the golden rule. <clears throat> As you would want done unto you, if you were in need, you do that to your neighbor. When you see a need, take care of it. Um, love your neighbor as yourself occurs one more time and it occurs just 18 verses later in Leviticus 19 verse 34 Um, it says here reading from the NIV uh, the command is repeated when a foreigner when a foreigner resides among you in your land do not mistreat them the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So here the command is expanded in a direction already in Leviticus that you are not to just love your own fellow Israelites, your brother, your neighbor. You're to love the other, the foreigner. The one who doesn't look like you, smell like you. Different gender, different ethnicity, different socioeconomic status. The one that doesn't belong to your group, your in-group. You're to love that one. As well. And of course, the one who's not in our our in-group, the one who is the other, easily and quickly becomes... If there's a conflict, our enemy, right? The one who's not like us, uh, the one who's out there, um, the one that's just down the street from you maybe, the, the one that's not in your in-group or my in-group, the, the ultra-right uh, conservative Republican, right, who lives down the street, or the ultra-left left liberal Democrat who's down the street, and you just can't stand him, or you just can't stand her constantly tension <clears throat> or whatever the other is in your circle you you define it for yourself who is who is the who is the other the one that's not in your in group the one who is dislike you but you must love them love is the unconditional commitment to meet the needs of others to treat them justly an action that is fueled by the fear of god All right, let's go back to Matthew 5 and move on to verse 44. The second half of the uh, antithesis, Matthew 5, verse 44. So you've heard it said, love your, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So here Jesus expands Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus 19.34, turns the other into even, even to include your enemy. Right? Somebody who hates you, uh, here is persecuting you. Remember that the Gospel of Matthew was originally written to Jewish Christians who have been kicked out of the synagogue by fellow Jews who don't believe, right, and are persecuting them. And so it has an immediate valid application for the original audience of, of Matthew. How, how do Jews who love Jesus as Messiah relate to the unbelieving Jews who, 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 who hate them and are persecuting them because they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. 
um, that, that tension and that violence. Remember, it was in part the, the unbelieving Jewish leadership who actually crucified Jesus because they believed he was a, a, a messianic pretender who was leading the people astray. And so this had teeth uh, for the original audience. And of course, it has, has teeth uh, for us today. Or to even love, love our enemies. Um, I, you know, to be honest, I struggle, say, for example, you've got to fill in the blank for yourself of who you, your enemy might be. But I really struggle right now with Vladimir Putin of Russia and what he's doing dropping bombs on, in Ukraine on hospitals and schools and churches. Um, I struggle to love this guy, right? I wondered to myself if I was walking down the road and I saw him bleeding on the side of the road and needing my care, would I actually stop and take care of him? Or would I let him rot? <clears throat> I know what Jesus would do. But there's no rule getting around it. This is not easy. Right? When somebody hates you and really gives you uh, really, for whatever reason, gets, viscerally gets you. And Jesus calls you to love that person anyway. That's different. Verse 45. Come back to that in a moment. Verse 45a, verse 45 actually splits into two parts. 45a says this, gives us the goal of loving our enemies. Or what happens when we do love our enemies. We become sons of our Father who is in heaven. Now this is kind of a, a Jewish way or a Hebraic way of speaking. Um, does not exclude uh, daughters or the women, the other half of the human race here. Um, kind of like our word, man, like we used to say, mankind, to refer to all humans. We now kind of say humankind or all humanity or all people. We don't really say mankind anyway. But I keep it because I think Jesus is saying here, um, there's two things going on here, I think. I think, yes, we, we don't love our enemy in order to become believers, right? That would be salvation by works. First, love your enemy, and then I'll let you into my kingdom and be my child. What's going on here is that the first moment we put our faith in Christ, we become God's child. But over time, as we mature, we become mature and we grow into sons and daughters, adult sons and daughters. We grow in maturity and we become more and more and more like our Heavenly Father. And so when we reach the point where we are loving our, even our enemies, Jesus is saying, you have become like your Father in heaven. You've become like a member of that reflects uh, like your Father. You have become a mature adult son, a mature adult daughter of the kingdom. And that is the goal, that we grow up in Christ and be mature members of his family, living like Jesus would, living like the Father, looking like the Father, looking like Jesus, more and more growing in his likeness. Second half of verse 45, 
reads this way. This gives the first, we have the goal of our loving our enemy in verse 45a and verse 45b and c here, we get the first of three reasons why we should love our enemies. This is the first, first of three reasons Jesus gives for why we should love our enemies. The first reason is because God loves his enemies. Okay? For he, that is the Father, makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Love your enemy, why? Because the Father loves his enemies. How is the Father loving his enemies here? Sends the sunshine, sends the rain. What happens when there's sunshine and the rain? There's food that grows, right? What's our, one of our most basic needs? Food, water, for life, daily bread. And Jesus, I'm sorry, the Father sends his sunshine, sends his rain indiscriminately and lavishly and generously, taking care of the needs of both his people, those who love him, and taking care of the most fundamental needs of those who don't love him, who hate him. Indiscriminate generosity, indiscriminate care for both the righteous and the wicked, for the, both the good and the evil. So the first reason why we should love our enemies, imitate our Father in heaven. God loves his enemies. God is unconditionally committed to meet the needs of the other. Verse 46 gives us our second reason for why we should love our enemies. Verse 46 reads this way. Notice it begins with the word for or because. So it gives a second reason for why we should love our enemies. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? Second reason you should love your enemy is if you don't, you don't have any reward. If you only love those who love you, there's no reward in that. There's no heavenly reward. There's no eternal reward in that. But if you love your enemies, there's heavenly reward. There's eternal reward. What? Is Jesus like dangling a care out in front of you to motivate you by the reward and the treasures that you might get in heaven? in the future, for what you do now in the present? Yes, he is. What you believe about the future determines how you live in the present. And I'm telling you, I don't know exactly what that reward is. It's not specified here. But I wouldn't want to miss it for anything. Why? Because God, your Father, is the most generous, kind, extravagant, great-hearted, good-hearted, open-hearted, large-hearted, and extravagant person in the entire universe. If you believe that God the Father is stodgy, stingy, or miserly, you've believed a lie. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. 
And he is unsparing in his generosity. How do I know that? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own precious son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us some things? All things. What do you want? You can have it. Mm-hmm. Once he has perfected and purified your heart, you can have it. Mm-hmm. Until then, you have to wait. Mm-hmm. So be motivated by this. You do not have to wait for warm, fuzzy feelings to crop up in your heart to love your neighbor. Love is a verb. I do hope that compassion does eventually come with the action. But you can meet the needs of your enemy even when you don't feel like it. And you can be motivated by the fact that the Father sees everything you do in secret and in public. And he knows how to reward you. Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Enter into the joy of your master. Mm, I do. So be motivated. This is not mercenary. If it was mercenary, Jesus wouldn't have said it. He's not a mercenary. He's providing motivation for loving your enemy. Verse 47. Let's move on to verse 47. Verse 47 gives us the third reason, the final reason for why we should love our neighbor. First reason is you should love your neighbor because God the Father loves his, I'm sorry, you should love your enemy because God the Father loves his, his enemies. Second reason is there's no reward if you just love those who love you. And the third reason is if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others, it says. Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In-groups meet uh, their in-groups and greet them and take care of them. The Gentiles do this. The pagans do this. Tax collectors do this. What more are you doing than others? The, the, the idea here, the reason is, you are sons and daughters of the living God. You are sons and daughters of the king. You are royalty. You're princes and princesses. You're going to rule and own the entire universe. The entire resurrected new creation is going to be yours. You are sons and daughters of the Father. So what more are you doing than those people who don't know the Father, don't know the gospel, don't have Jesus, are on the outside or in the darkness or in the fallen, are part of the fallen dark world, have not been saved, have not experienced the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Spirit? What more are you doing than them? The expectation here, the idea here is that more is expected, right? You know more, you have more, you're in the family. More is expected. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, but then goes immediately to being salt and light, mission and witness. And I think the idea here is to that, to that direction or to that degree where if you're not doing, if you're not loving your enemy, what are you doing any more than anybody else? When you love your enemy... You're doing something that sticks out. People will take notice. 
people look at you and say, what's, what's she doing? Why is she doing that? Mm, that's weird. I've never seen that before. People don't love their enemies, right? We hate our enemies because that's what you do with enemies. But when you do love your enemy, it shines. It sticks out. It's noteworthy. And you're becoming the salt and light. You're on witness. You're on mission. And when you lay down your life and give yourself to your enemy to meet his genuine needs, whatever that is, whatever her need is, you shine the love of Jesus and you earn the right to speak. Somebody comes knocking on your door. I saw what you did the other day. Why in the world did you do that? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Right? Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Share the gospel by your life. That's the third reason. Jesus concludes and summarizes his teaching in verse 48. Says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I hate to do this. I'm not a huge fan of this translation. It's simply, it's not an imperative. It's not a command. It's a, it's a future indicative, which means really what it says is, you therefore will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word must there is simply not in the text. You therefore will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think three things are going on here. And if you want to go with the ESV, take a look at the NIV as well. Take a look at other translations. There is an imperatival. There is, there's a, an element of command here. But there's also goal and promise here. You will be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The idea of perfection here um, includes the nuances of completeness, maturity, wholeness. Yes, perfection. It does include moral obligation, moral perfection. Uh, Someday we will love perfectly the way our Father always already loves perfectly. So it is a command now, but it's also a goal. Someday, at the resurrection, at the new creation, you will be perfect. But we already live, we live between the two comings of Christ, right? And we know woefully that we are imperfect now. But this is always the goal. Always the goal. Always the goal is to be like our Heavenly Father. To love the way that He loves. To show compassion the way that He shows compassion. To be generous in the ways that He's generous. To forgive the way He forgives. The Father's character, the Father's heart is always the goal for our own heart. Always. And that's rigorous, and that's demanding, and that, that, and that is always, always in front of us as a goal. But it's also a promise. The Father promises that someday you and I will be perfect like he is. You will love. You will be perfect someday like your Heavenly Father is perfect. You will love someday the way that he loves And that gives us tremendous, tremendous hope. It also rightly 
fills us at times with remorse when we fail him. But he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake you. And he is, as he promises, going to complete the good work that he began in you. Philippians 1.6. What he started, he completes. So if you failed last night, Saturday night, partying, or whatever you did yesterday, or whatever you did this past week, yep, you should feel remorse. You should repent. You should change your life and not do that again. And you should come to him and find forgiveness. But know that he's not done with you. He's never going to be done with you. He's never going to be done with you until you're done. And you're perfect. So take encouragement from that. In conclusion, I want to say just two things, I think. Love your enemy is at the heart of the gospel. Why do I say that? Because Jesus is the ultimate example of loving his enemies. He doesn't do, I'm sorry, he doesn't ask us to do something he wouldn't do himself. He died on the cross for those who hated, hated him and persecuted him. For those who condemned him in a sham trial and drove six-inch nails through his wrists and his feet because they hated him. He died for us while we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it. We deserved God's justice. We deserved God's judgment. And he came and took our place at the cross as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. Him for us. We should have been on that cross, paying for our sins. He died for us, his enemies, so that we might become his friends. That we would recognize the incredible depths of what he did for us and be moved and won over and give ourselves to him forever. Oh, the power of sacrificial love for the enemy and what it can do to a world that's lost its way. Second thing I want to say, there is no sacrifice, actually, ultimately. Loving your enemy sounds really difficult, really complex, labored. It sounds very sacrificial and sounds like something we do not want to do, and I get that. But at the end of the day, there is no sacrifice because the Father rewards. You can't outgive God. It's kind of like, if you want to put it this way, I have a 401k. Maybe you have a 401k. A 401k is just kind of a retirement plan. So you put a little bit of money aside each month, goes into a retirement fund, and 30, 40 years, it grows and grows and grows until the fund uh, matures and the, the amount, the little amount that you put in now mushrooms into this incredible amount 40 years from now, right? You put in, I don't know, $100 a month now and you get, I'm not a financial person, but a million dollars, two million dollars in 40 years. It's an investment. And Jesus' reward system is like that. Yeah, it's a sacrifice, a little sacrifice now to love your enemy, 
but in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that he's going to pay you at the end, there actually is no sacrifice at all, is there? So you have to have an eternal perspective to be able to love your enemy well. Go for the reward. Go for the investment. Put your faith in action. Anyway, this all very naturally leads me into introducing to you Brennan and Nikki Byers. Carol, would you come up? And Brennan and Nikki, would you come up? I don't know if Silas is coming up with you, sweet. Mm. Brennan and Nikki Byers are missionaries that we at Moran Park band together to support with our money. And we send them halfway across the world to be able to love to love our enemies. Let me just say that the country that they are going to is 98% comprised of people who do not love Christians or the West. Mm. Uh, Brian and Nikki will be walking into a country loving people who look at them as an enemy. But they do it because the greatest need of this country is actually not to be fed with food or to make sure that they have enough water. Brendan and Nikki are going because the greatest need of the lost people in this country is because they do not know the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know Jesus. They don't know their left hand from their right. They're lost and bumbling in the darkness, enslaved to their sin. So, Carol, would you lead from here and introduce us to Nikki and Brennan? Morning, everybody. Um, so, yeah, we're going to sh- let Brennan and Nikki share a little bit about themselves so that you, some of you know them because they've been among us for some time. But those of you who are new, this is a chance for you to get to know them. And I want you to take a good, hard look at them. Brennan, Nikki, Silas, and Abel is under there somewhere. (laughs) So take a good look at them because we are partners with them. Partnership means that we care for them and in a sense, they care for us. Partnership means, and for us, partnership at Moran Park means we financially support their ministry. It also means we pray for them. And it also means we find other ways to encourage them. So communications and gifts and things like that are all possibilities. So I'd like to just plant that seed in you to uh, let that germinate, that are there ways that you can support them and other of our missionaries, because we have others. That's something that's kind of been lost in the last couple of months while we've been kind of trying to keep afloat. But this church has had a very active global service arm. That's kind of got lost, so we'd like, we're, we're, really, we're actually grateful that the buyers are, in a sense, in this partnership. I told you what our part is, but their part, like, that's what we can do for them. What can they do for us? They're giving us the chance to have an impact on the world from here (laughs) and to keep in the front of our minds what's important to God. (laughs) 
that we are here trying to be faithful in Holland, to reach out, to share the gospel, to grow God's kingdom. But it starts in Jerusalem, but it goes to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So they're, they're giving us that opportunity to participate. I didn't want to use so many words, but it had to be done because it's been a long time since we've been able to talk about this. And while I am here, let me just say, we as a family have regular prayer for our global outreach people. And it's typically on the first Sunday of the month after the service in the central office. Every once in a while we'll switch it because of a holiday or something like that. But you can talk to me, talk to Gary or Ruth Miedema, talk to the DeRitters to get the, the scoop. And if you aren't able to come at that time but you'd like to pray, we can get you the prayer requests. Okay, on to the buyer. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so... Lots of us know you, but not everyone does. So for the people who don't know you, just give us a little bit of background of who you are and how you got here. Hello, Marin. Hey, yeah, we are the buyers. Um, yeah, Brennan, Nikki, Silas, and Abel, who just turned two months. Yeah, so yeah, we, uh, Nikki and I met at the University of Michigan. We met at a Christian sport ministry called Athletes in Action. And uh, it didn't take long after meeting to start dating. And we got married a little bit after, and we moved to Holland, Michigan. And we've been coming to Moran since 2017. And, uh, yeah, we decided to get involved with Athletes in Action and ended up working full-time there for that ministry, just a sport ministry um, all over the world. And through that, um, we ended up finding ourselves serving in China and had to leave when COVID hit. And then we went to Thailand this past year and served for a year, hoping to get back into China. And uh, we found out that the door was closed for our family there. So um, through a lot of praying and discerning, um, God opened up the door to this country in Central Asia for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oops. That. So what do you feel God has called your family to do in Central Asia? Yeah, Central Asia and really wherever we find ourselves, um, I find it best to just share the story of when God really called our family um, overseas and into this. So we ended up taking just a week-long vision trip to China with Athletes in Action. And um, while we were there, we were just praying in a dorm room of some people there. And as we were praying, I, I could just really feel God say, Brennan, I have something I want to say to you. Um, just very clearly and powerfully felt the Spirit just talking to my heart. I said, okay, Lord, what? what?" Um, and just crashing down over me came um, just the sense of his love um, in a more deep and powerful way than I had really ever experienced it. Um, and I was experiencing this awesome love. Um, and then he brought my mind to just the millions of people in the city who had not experienced this love who had not heard about this love and um, who, who probably will, will not get a chance to hear about this love. You want to go find Caleb? All right, go find Caleb. Um, yeah, so I'm just experiencing this love and, and just this, this feeling of loss for all these people around us who, who do not know this love. And, just, yeah, even as we worship here on Sunday and we talk about God lifting our loads and us coming to him and this treasure we have in him and in heaven and getting to see him eventually and 
being citizens of heaven, there's just millions of people in this city I'm in surrounding me that have no idea about this, who are living for false hopes, false dreams, or, or maybe just living in despair without any hope, without anything. So that just broke my heart, and I just started bawling, um, just, just bawling on the floor of this apartment. And then God said, okay, Brennan, let's go back to your life in, in Holland, Michigan, and let's just take a look at some areas that are, are starting to slip away from me. Um, and he just revealed areas in my heart that were um, just slowly, um, subconsciously even turning from him maybe dreams I had that were more in line with the American dream or um, goals or, or thoughts and aspirations that weren't bad enough themselves, but they were not necessarily laid down to the Lord. And I just was like, Lord, I lay all those down. Like, I just want to serve you with my heart, my soul, my strength. Whatever that looks like, Lord, you are so worthy and worth it. And I just love you. And I, yeah, I want to do that. And he said, okay, Brennan, then come move here. And, and follow me here and share my love with these people. And uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty quick and direct. And yeah, that's, that, that would be a big life change. And um, just felt him calling our family to do that. So thankfully it was awesome. Nikki had actually been journaling and praying and really felt like God was saying, just, I'm gonna do something big. She was thinking about moving overseas already and I was kind of like, eh, I don't think so. But God was just saying, trust what I'm gonna do to your, in your husband's heart. And uh, I told her this, and we got to discern this as a family, and yeah, God was calling us overseas. So that's how we came to, to serve in China. Um, yeah. So you can imagine reading between the lines that serving in China, having this big, you know, a, a strong sense of call, and then having it kind of broken <laughs> through COVID and the restrictions, and then not even being able to re-enter, you can read between the lines to know this family has really been through a lot. Um, and then living in Thailand, hoping to get back into, you know, lots and lots of transition. If you can just imagine, put yourself in their shoes and what this has been like for them. So lots of ways to pray for them as they make a new transition to a new location. Now you heard that the place where they're going, and we aren't able to say the name, but it's in Central Asia. 99, 98, 99% people, followers of the other major world religion. <laughs> and so, you know, potential, lots of opposition, certainly a lot of opposition for the believers who are there because there are believers there. So we'd like to hear how are you going to partner with the believers there and what has God brought you, you know, in to be able to do in this new place? Yeah, um, like you were saying, this place is, um, they have less than a tenth of a percent of believers, um, which is mind-blowing. And a theme God used to, to draw our hearts there was just, we kept hearing that, like, why would you want to go to this place? It's the forgotten uh, poorest country in Central Asia, um, just, just this kind of forgotten mindset and attitude. And that just drew us all the more um, and, and really experienced God's heart for the lost there. And I took a vision trip in April there for a week and met with um, yeah, other believers there and um, just getting to see their hearts to love their neighbors, their enemies, and their people and the way they love the Lord through that too um, was just so encouraging. And I, and I thought if we could be a part of this and, and if what they've done over the years could be something that um, God leads us to do, that, that would just be so cool and awesome. Um, and they actually asked if, 
there were, they asked Athletes in Action if there was anyone with a sport ministry background who had lived overseas who would be willing to come move there and help them um, with their sport ministry. And that was right when we found out that China was closed for us. And just cool to see how God really brought us here after one door closed. So, yeah, we'll be moving there, and we're going to help them. Um, they use sport ministry just to connect with the community, with families of all ages, um, college, high school, whole families. It's just a great way to get everyone out, and they use that to, to get to know people, um, to eventually share with people, to love on people. Um, so we're, we'll be helping explore new avenues for that, seeing what, what God could be doing there um, in that. And yeah, it it's, sounds pretty simple, and yeah, we'll see what God does, but it, it is really using sport to build and love into people deeply to, to start relationships with him and, and raise up national believers to go and, and share with, with their own people. So, yeah. So this is what we do here. Uh, we'd like to gather around and pray for the buyers. They're leaving. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Something we really wanted to do is just communicate how thankful we are for this body. And Moran has played a significant role in where we are today. Um, we really couldn't be doing any of this without you. Um, and yeah, just when you're in a conversation with someone who's never even heard the name of Jesus, it's sobering and heartbreaking. Um, this week has been probably the most stressful week we've ever had. Um, We've experienced some challenges with Abel and uh, found out her weight was really low. Um, and God really just provided a miracle and gave us answers. She gained like eight ounces in a couple days um, and is just right on track. And we just had a lot of days of, Lord, what are we doing? And what's going on? And just a lot of chaos. Um, but he's worth it. Um, he's with us, and he's been guiding our every step, and we really couldn't do any of this without you guys, and um, so we wanted to say thank you, and we're excited for what God's doing, and excited you guys get to be a part of it, too. Yeah, the whole, the whole body gets to be a part of it, and we're so excited to update you and, and share with you what God's doing and do it together. Um, truly, we truly feel that and believe that, um, and we just love you all dearly. Thank you. So any of you who would like to join in prayer over the buyers as we send them out, uh, whether you feel, know them and feel close or not, it's okay. Um, and then afterwards, we'll go back to our seats. There's a little bit more we'll be doing in the service, another song and prayer and discernment seats. So be prepared too for that.